to Ephesians 2 is where we're going to start, but today is one of those kind of days where uh, we're going to do a lot of jumping around. Today's a, a good day to have your Bible open because um, we're going to do a lot of jumping around today. And so Ephesians 2 is where we're going to start, though. And um, so as you're turning there and getting settled, I'd like to thank our hospitality team. They go out of the way. They are intentional to create a space that uh, is inviting, is welcoming, that helps to foster community and warmth here. Um, and so they come early, they make sure things are clean and organized, they have answers to questions, and they serve and however they can. They find different ways to do that. And so uh, to Monica and, and the entire team, thank you so much. If hospitality, if, if being able to help create an environment of warmth and welcome is something that speaks to you and like, man, that's something I'd like to get involved with, we'd love to add you to the team. So if you want to grab um, those connect cards I've been talking about this morning, there should be one in the seat back around you. Uh, you can fill that out with whatever contact info you feel comfortable with. And then on the back right uh, circle, um, hospitality, put it in the offering basket up here at some point, and we will get in contact with you. Monica will be in touch, and we will get you uh, trained and plugged in. So thank you again to everybody that's part of that team. Um, so this morning, uh, so last week we finished up our study in James, and so today we're going to start a brand new study where we are going to talk about uh, everybody's favorite topic, themselves. We're going to talk about us. Specifically, we're going to talk about CF. We're going to talk about church and, and us as a community, what we believe, what we as a community want to be, what we strive to be, what we feel God is calling us to be, and how we can best love and serve uh, our neighbors in this city and what we want to hold each other uh, accountable to being. So uh, we have this document. Um, you can't see it here, but you're going to get real familiar with it over the north, next couple of weeks. If you're a member of CF, you have seen this document. Uh, it's called the Church Covenant. And so it is uh, a document that was written roughly 20-ish years ago by my predecessor, Pastor Sergei Marchenko. Uh, I spoke with him this week. He sends his love uh, and his prayers for us. And uh, Sergey and the leadership of the church wrote this document, like I said, about 20 years ago. It was written as a way to help the church kind of define and give a little more structure to what membership looks like at CF. What does it mean to be committed to a place and a people? When we talk about membership at CF, not just uh, being a regular tender, but being invested and committed, a covenant member of this place, what does that actually entail and look like? And so this document basically um, takes all the things that we believe, all the things that we strive to be as a church community, all the things that matter to us and condenses them into like three quarters of a page. So that's pretty handy. Um, it's a way to encourage and give us focus and direction on how we are to function as a church. And so uh, when I was talking to Sergey about this document, uh, you know, he said he wrote it, they wrote it to be read out loud, to be recited together. And we do that. If you're a member of CF, you know that uh, one of the highlights for everybody of the members meeting is when we read the church covenant out loud together. Um, and it's something we do. We read it at the church meeting. And then honestly, though, that's about as often as we use this document. Like we'll read it in the members meeting. We, we, if you've gone through membership class, we'll talk about it in the membership class. And then we tuck it away for six months until it's time for another members meeting. And as I've been sitting in this and thinking about doing what we're going to do in, in studying this document, um, I think we've got to change that. I think this document, uh, I think if it's something that we're all agreeing to pursue and be, then they, we probably need to talk about it more. And so it starts with this study. We're going to spend the next few weeks basically taking this thing apart and examining not only what it says, um, but what we as a community are agreeing to, but also where are we finding these concepts of Scripture? 
right? If this is a document that says this is who CF is, this is what CF believes, then these things have to be coming from Scripture, right? They have to be coming because Scripture has to be our compass and guiding point for everything we do as a church. So, um, like I said, we're going to do a lot of jumping around today. We're going to start in Ephesians 2, um, but we're going to jump around. I'm going to give you lots of references over these next couple of weeks. Um, some of them will read out loud. Some of them I'll just give you a reference, and you can uh, do some homework on your own. But I want you to see that what we're talking about and the things that we hold to as a church come from the Bible. So if you're a member of CF, I really hope that this series, this time that we spend together in this study is a time to remember and really consider the things that you are committing to by continuing to be a member of this church. If you aren't a member, if you've thought about it, you've been around for a little while, um, you know, this series might be something that gives you a little more insight, maybe push you a little closer towards understanding more of what it means to, to be part of this church on a, on a deeper level. And if you're a guest with us today, if it's your first time with us or you haven't, you've only been a couple of times, you know, you're getting a little bit of a like peek behind the curtain, right, about what we believe, who we are. Uh, and I hope that this is encouraging to you and, uh, and really gives you a little insight into who we are as a church. So um, I'm going to pray and then we will uh, jump in and get to work. So please bow your heads and uh, pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for this chance to come together, uh, to fellowship, to pray, to sing, to open your word, to study, uh, to be together, to do so in a way that um, makes much of you in every element. Every element of this service is intentional, is purposeful, and all of those things are to point us to you, to give you uh, glory, to fix, help us fix our eyes on you. Um, Lord, as we open your word this morning, I pray that it does what you told us it will do, that it will strengthen us, that it will encourage us, that it will challenge us, rebuke us. Um, it will be the, the light and truth that it is, that we will allow it to be those things, to speak into those places of our lives. God, as we spend these next few weeks and we consider who we are as a church and the things we believe and the things we hold to, God, I pray that it's a time, especially for those who are already committed members of this church. So it's a time for us to really re-examine and, and be um, refreshed and reminded of, of who it is, uh, of what it is you have called us to and the blessing and gift this church is to all of us. God, as I preach that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. So normally uh, I pray and then we read scripture. Um, and not that this document replaces scripture by any means, it comes from scripture, but I want to give you an idea of what it says. So I'm going to read through it, um, and then we will kind of go back and we'll talk about a section of it. So um, you don't have the words in front of you, um, but uh, you can just listen, and then we will uh, walk through it, and then we'll jump into Ephesians here in a little bit. So um, the church covenant says, starts, and it says, We recognize God's grace in saving us and express our gratitude for Christ's sacrifice on the cross and the Spirit's work in our hearts. We recognize God's will in bringing us together and uniting us into one congregation as partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We affirm our covenant with God and each other to be grow in becoming like Christ and proclaiming Christ. By God's grace, we strive to live according to our baptism, considering ourselves dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus, and walking by the Spirit in newness of the resurrected life. We will not neglect to meet together. We will love one another in deed and in truth. We will use the Spirit's gifts for the common good. We will give cheerfully and generously. We will pray together and for one another. We will submit to one another and to the leadership of the church as it is pleasing to the Lord. 
We request to be accountable in our pursuit of biblical discipleship and welcome exhortation to repent of sin and align our lives with the gospel. We understand that unrepentant and persistent sin grieves the Lord and will lead to the exclusion from this congregation. If we leave this congregation, we will do so for biblical reasons and in a timely and honest in, and in a timely and with honest communication with the elders and members of the church. We will support this congregation in the ministry of advancing the gospel in our community, in the world, as the Spirit leads and Scripture commands. We will uphold this church's doctrine, practices, values, and goals. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. I feel like I did a really good job with that. I love this thing. Um, so we're going to focus this morning on the first two paragraphs there. We recognize God's grace in saving us and express our gratitude for Christ's sacrifice on the cross and the Spirit's work in our hearts. We recognize God's will in bringing us together and uniting us into one congregation as partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The very first thing, the thing to start off a document that is about us, that unites us, that brings us together, if we're going to talk about the thing that unites and ties this place together, has to be, and I'm thankful that it is, the grace of God, the cross of Christ, and the Holy Spirit's work in us. It is the thing that levels the field. The reality that there are not tiers of Christian, no one is more or better of a Christian than anyone else, that who you are and what you have done ultimately don't matter when it comes to your standing before God, your identity as a child of God and a recipient of the grace and mercy of God through Christ. Your identity, your eternity, your eternal standing with God depends on the abundant, never-ending, ever-flowing grace, mercy, and love of Jesus. And it won't run out. He won't hold back on any of it. He doesn't ration it out in doses. He gives freely and completely of his grace to those who would admit their need for him, believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins and rose from the grave, and choose him to be your Lord and Savior of your life. In Ephesians 2, it's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Paul lays out what I think is one of the clearest and direct presentations of our need for and the reality of the gospel in the New Testament. He starts off in chapter 2 and he says, We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are followers of Satan, doing whatever we want with our lives. We are objects of the wrath of God. This is who we are without God, by nature, enemies, rebels, dead and stuck, in need of help and hopeless. And then in verse 4, we see where that hope comes from. It says, But God. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, our hope comes from the bountiful mercy and great love of God that led him to send his son to earth to die in our place for our sin, to take on our sin, to substitute himself in our place, to suffer, to endure, to die for us. We didn't earn it. In fact, Paul says this happens not when we were at our best. Not when we are our cleanest, our most put together, our most lovable, but while we were dead, while we were actively rebelling. Paul writes in, in Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were at our worst, while our hope was lost, it says it was all chaos, but God stepped in. It's not about us, it's about God, it's about his grace. And then you get to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, you've heard me reference it many, many times if you've been part of this church, it's so important, we've stuck it on the wall and you can't pull it down, I've tried in cleaning, it doesn't come down, it just lives there. Everything else, it's, it's there, the word of God stands forever. 
Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's not about how impressive we think we are. You cannot earn, work, or win your way into heaven. Your goodness is not enough. Your kindness is not enough. You are not smart enough, kind enough, fast enough, strong enough on your own. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. Grace. Getting what you do not deserve. And this is the way God has chosen to interact, not just with us, not just post-Jesus, not just because Christ came, but this is the way God has chosen to interact with us as as humans. You can go all the way back to Genesis 6. It says, so the Lord said, I will, blot out the, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven, for I am sorry I have made them. And then Genesis 6, 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That's the first time we hear about Noah. He didn't do anything special. He didn't impress God so much that God decided I have to save Noah. No, Noah found favor. That phrase, Noah found grace. Noah received the grace of the Lord. He didn't deserve it. He didn't earn it, but he got God's grace. Later on in Genesis 12, 1, it says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God chose Abram. Some of you might know him as Abraham. Not because he did anything to win over God or became God's favorite. God told Abram, take a walk, and Abram obeyed. In Genesis 15, 6, when God reiterates this covenant with Abraham, it says, Abram believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abram believed God, and because of his faith in God, he had faith that God was going to keep these promises, promises he, Abram himself had not experienced yet. He said, God made a promise. I believe God's going to keep those promises. Abram's faith was counted to him as righteousness. The unearned, unmerited grace of God calling people into relationship with himself and the righteousness of God being credited to a person by faith. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's not about us. It's not that God made man so awesome, so wonderful, so interesting, that he just had to make sure we had a right relationship with him. This is about who God is. It's about his love. His mercy, his kindness and compassion, because of who he is, we have the chance to have a right relationship with him. Any work involved in the salvation of people was done by Jesus. He does all of the work. He said as much when he was hanging on the cross in agony, dying for us. It is finished, he cried out. The payment for our sins, the death that was necessary, the justice that was found at the cross means things are different now for those who have put their faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. There is no condemnation. There is no guilt or shame. Those things are gone. And again, it's not because we're just so great. It's not because of how kind you are. It's not because of the things you have done or the things you want to do. It's because of what Christ already did. It is because he went to the cross, he shed his blood, and because he gave up his life, he paid the penalty you and I deserve to pay. He hung on that cross in our place. 
He was our sacrifice. And the emphatic declarative statement that his sacrifice was accepted, that the wrath of God has been fully and completely satisfied, that justice was fully carried out, no need to punish again because it's already been punished and taken care of, was a rolled away stone, an empty tomb, and some folded up linens. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross did what nothing else can do. It made us right with God. In Hebrews 10, the author writes about how the law was a shadow of good things to come. Really, all of Hebrews is about looking at here's things that were part of God's people, and here's how Jesus supersedes them. He talks about the law and how it was a pointer to what was to come and the new relationship with God we have through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. He says the law was temporary. That's why the Christian church didn't continue to practice sacrifice. That's why when they gathered together, that's why when we gather together, we don't sacrifice anything. This place isn't covered in blood. It would be real, real gross because we don't need to because the ultimate perfect sacrifice, sacrifice was made by Jesus at the cross. The writer of Hebrews says in 10.4, he says it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. And then later on in verse 14, for by a single offering, he, would, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Christ's sacrifice on the cross did what the law never could, make us right with God. It did what we cannot do on our own, what our goodness can't do, our service can't do, our church attendance can't do, our niceness can't do, our rule following can't do. Our salvation is not dependent on our impressiveness, and thanks be to God it isn't, because let's be honest, we aren't all that impressive. Paul writes in Ephesians 2.9, God took the work on for himself, by himself. So that no one may boast. Because he knew if our salvation was dependent on us, if it was ultimately just a spiritual checklist we had to work our way through, people like me who like checks, who like checklists, who like to win, would work and focus so much on the winning aspect and we'd get done and say, look how great I am, look how wonderful I am. We know this to be true because it's what happened with the Pharisees and the law. They made the law this thing to win. And they put in even extra rules to make it harder and harder for other people to win. Because it's built into our very self, because of our sin, this selfishness, this self-righteous pull. Rather, we have a full, rather what the gospel calls us to, what God is calling us to, is a full and total dependence on God. But that's where the glitch comes in. Because everything the world says to us as we live in it is take care of yourself. Be independent. You do what you have to do to get what you want. You take care of yourself. Our own desire and our self-inflicted need to be the most important thing, to be our own functional savior, to handle everything ourselves. This idea that I'm an independent person, so I can get by on my own. I don't need any help because if I ask for help, then I'm weak. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not able to do enough on my own. And so I'm going to push those things aside. I'm just going to lighten up on my way through life and keep myself busy and keep myself moving and try and do it all and win it all myself. Eventually, it exhausts us and it kills us. And what happens is we take that same mentality and we bring it into our relationship with God, which is mind-boggling if you're a Christian. Because if you're truly saved, then at some point you threw yourself down in total vulnerability and you decided to lean solely and wholly on the perfect righteousness of Jesus, on his life, death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins, for new life and new identity. At some point you knew you had a moment where you couldn't, you, you didn't want to rely on yourself anymore. 
You needed a savior. You knew you needed help. It happened at some point, whether it was hearing and being convicted of truth or it was the, the brokenness of your life and you were awakened to the good news of the gospel, you had this moment of trusting and leaning in. But then life started to happen. And when life happened, it started to bang against what Scripture has to say and what, what Scripture has to say about what it means to be a man of God, a woman of God, or what Scripture has to say about how to treat purity or how to treat the poor or the refugee or the, or the immigrant or how to work at a job with a horrible boss or how to deal with politics. We see what Scripture says. We see what the world says and, and how much easier it is to just get by. And so little by little, we make these decisions and these choices, deciding I'm just going to compromise a little bit here. I'm going to shine my light, but I'm going to shine it a little bit dark, dimmer over there. I'm going to go along with culture and not make waves and just get by. I'm going to choose other things as a priority over gathering with the church. I'm going to choose other things other than making an effort and making a point to get into God's word. I'm not going to pray and seek counsel for the decisions I make. I'm going to choose, I'm going to trust my own instincts and my own experiences. I'm going to make excuses why that TV show, that movie, even though every, because everybody else has seen it, even though it's got some stuff that I know is going to affect my heart, I can see it anyway. We make a lot of excuses. A lot of yeah buts come in. We do that enough with our faith. We do that enough with our relationship with God and that we're wondering why we're so lost in, in darkness and stuck and things have gotten so hard and we find ourselves surrounded by chaos. Proverbs 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. These verses aren't just talking about the big stuff, not just about, you know, who should I marry or, or where should I live or whether or not to believe and put my faith in Christ, but in the little daily, moment-by-moment -moment decisions. We are told simply and clearly, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding in all of your ways. In everything you do, acknowledge him, and if you do that, he will make straight your path. We try to act as our own saviors, and it never works, and it only makes things worse. Instead, God says, trust me. I have you. Watch what I can do if you will just let go and trust me. And in doing so, it means we're all equal. Regardless of your background, regardless of your education, where you live, who you are, the grace, the mercy, the love that is available by God makes us equal. God takes it out of our hands. He takes the temptation for spiritual self-righteousness away, and he puts all the work and all the glory onto himself. He eliminates the chance for us to boast in our salvation, because let's be honest, the only thing we contribute to our salvation is the sin that required Jesus to go to the cross in the first place. He takes care of everything else. Even our ability to respond to God's call on our life is a gift of God, is the Holy Spirit illuminating the truth of the gospel to you. You might say, yeah, okay, well, I heard the gospel, but I'm the one who stood up. I'm the one who put my hand in the air when the pastor told me to. I'm the one who, while everybody's eyes were closed and heads were bowed, I looked up and I, made the I said the prayer. I responded. No, God did that in you. It is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, no one can boast. It is the Holy Spirit working in you. Because of God's grace, because of the cross of Christ, we have received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is fully and completely God. I know we don't talk about him a whole lot, right? In, in American church, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit a whole lot. I grew up in a place where it was like we talk a lot about God the Father, we talk a lot about Jesus the Son, and then the Holy Spirit, yes, he's God, he's there, but like, let's not, like, just let him do his thing, it's fine. 
where the Holy Spirit is fully and completely God, just as much as God the Father and God the Son. He has been and is at work in and through creation since the very beginning and continues to work in and throughout creation. Jesus made a point in John multiple times talking about the necessity for Jesus to leave earth, to ascend back into heaven so that we might receive the Holy Spirit. And he said it was important. He says in John 16, 8, that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. One of the things the Holy Spirit does is convict people of their sin and of God's righteousness. It humbles us so that we can begin to put into perspective our rebellion against the perfect, holy creator God who loves us. It was the Holy Spirit working in you that you found yourself calling on the Lord to save you and lead you. In 2 Thessalonians 2.13, it says, We ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. In verse 14, to this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You were called and sanctified, made more and more like Christ by the Spirit through the proclaiming of the gospel message. The Holy Spirit is the one that leads and guides and softens our hearts and challenges us and illuminates truth for us to understand. In John 16, 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit again. He says, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He guides us into truth. He did that even before you were saved, so that you might know truth for the first time. That moment, that time, that day, that experience when you heard, maybe it was for the first time you heard the gospel, or it was the 3,000th time you heard the gospel, but that day when it clicked, that day when it made sense, when it resonated within you, when something happened in your head and heart, what happened was the Holy Spirit guiding you into truth, showing you and teaching you the truth and the message of God's grace, the gospel of grace. In his book, In His Institutes, John Calvin wrote, The Holy Spirit is the bond by which Christ effectively unites us to himself. The call to salvation, the ability to have and pursue faith, to be convicted and realize our sin, to understand and be able to respond in action to the word of God, the uniting of a group of people from a bunch of different backgrounds and places to engage in a real relationship with one another. All of this is the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. It's him shaping us and changing us and calling us to pursue more and more walking with God. By grace you have been saved through faith because of that we have within us the Holy Spirit, God with us. When we slow down, when we consider what God has done, what he is still doing in us, and the magnitude and the intentionality of him in this world, we see a good God who loves and cares about us beyond just our spiritual health, as if that wasn't important enough, but who we are as humans, how we exist on this earth for whatever time we have been given, God cares about that. The second paragraph of the covenant says, We recognize God's will in bringing us together and uniting us into one congregation as partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Our salvation is a product of the compassion, the grace, and sovereignty of God. Our existence 
here, this community, we exist by and through the grace and sovereignty of God. God is in control of all things at all times. Yes, we have free will. We have the ability to choose and make decisions. But at the same time, there is the sovereignty, the complete power and control of God at play. He is never surprised, shocked, or taken aback by the decisions we make. He's never caught off guard. He never has to pivot and change the way he's doing things. This is a great blessing to us because of who God is, because he is righteous and just and good. Him being in control of all things at all times means even through the, even the sin of the world will ultimately be used for his glory. We see it most clearly in the story of Joseph. Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery, sell him to some tradesmen. They sell him into slavery. He's a slave in Egypt. Eventually, he gets falsely accused of trying to rape his boss's wife. He ends up in prison. He gets forgotten about. He gets left. Eventually finds himself as second in command of all of Egypt, overseeing everything Pharaoh owns. No one is higher in Egypt than, than Joseph, other than Pharaoh. He oversees when a famine hits. He is the one who was prepared. And his brothers, the ones who threw him into slavery, threw him in the pit, left him for dead, got rid of him, come asking for food. And he reveals to them who he is, and he's able to provide for them and protect them. And he says, what you did, you meant for evil. God used it for good. Even the sin, even the worst things, God will use for his glory. And it means that all of our decisions, all the things that we do here matter. There are no coincidences. There is no dumb luck or happenstance. You didn't end up here in this room this morning by chance. This place, this community, your involvement in it, even if just for this morning, if you're a guest with us for the first time, all of that was orchestrated by God, the God of all existence, with a purpose and plan for you. He called you into this place for a purpose, to the family of God for a purpose. There is a reason you bring something to the table. You have value and worth and a purpose and ways to serve and celebrate God. Every situation you are in is not an accident. It is particularly designed by the God of all existence. We see that play out very clearly in the book of Job. In Job 12, Job says, In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. And then later on in Job 42, it says, I know that you can do all things, Lord, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Every interaction, every day at your job, Every one of your kids' performances or practices, every Uber ride, every interaction with a barista, all of it has an eternal significance to it. But the church is a bunch of people, and because of that, the church is a messy place, a messy, diverse place with people of every race, gender, background, culture, generation. But there is a unity that underlies all of it. The saving grace of God in Jesus at the cross and his sovereign power to redeem all of existence back to himself. That's the thing that binds all of this together, that allows us to pursue community. It has to. It has to be the thing that unites us. I want you to take, if you've got your Bibles open, I want you to flip over to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12 is where we're going to go. Um, so if you have your Bible open, you're going to go, if you've got your Bible open, you're going to go to the left. 1 Corinthians 12 is where we're going to go. I'm going to read a couple of verses from 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12. Uh, you're turning there. Starting in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. 
For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not exist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, but I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. We are different. We are unique. We are a hodgepodge of pieces that come together to form a functioning body. We have different gifts and abilities and experiences and cultures, and that's good and beautiful and necessary for us to truly grow in compassion and empathy and sympathy. And look in there in verse 18. It says, It is God who arranges the members as he chose. He chose you to be here in this place, part of this community, even if just for this morning. Even if you are just a guest with us this morning and this is your first time, or you come sporadically, or this is kind of your home church when it's available, your presence, your connections, your interactions, your energy, you being you bring value and importance to the gathered body of God's family. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for making this a priority. Thank you for caring. Thank you for being involved in this place. And let me tell you, if you've ever wondered about this, if you are a member or a regular attender here at TF, yes, it is noticed when you're not here. And I say that not to shame you or guilt you or that like we're in the back taking attendance. I say that because you matter. Each one of you brings all of who you are into this place, and it affects and influences how a Sunday goes, how a prayer meeting goes, how a communion group exists, how a social event happens. Regardless of what you might think about yourself, each one of you matters and impacts this community. God chose you, is what it said there in 1 Corinthians. Arrange things for you to be here. And so even if you are in a season where, man, it's hard to show up, you feel like you can't contribute as much to the community as you'd like to or you wish, or your time is scattered or your finances are hard and it's just hard for you to really invest as much as you'd like to, that's okay. Look at verse 22. If you skip down to verse 22, it says, On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Keep showing up. It's okay if you are in a place where all you can do is show up. Great. Do that. Bring you. Be part of the body because you are more than enough. We've already talked about this. This, our relationship with God, our relationship with one another, it's not about performance. It's not about what we bring to the table. It's not about whether or not we are all that impressive. We gather. We are here. We are a body, not because of what we have to offer, not because of what we can bring to the table, but what God has already brought, what God has already given us. We are here to glorify God and grow in becoming Christ-like and proclaiming Christ. So I encourage you, keep showing up when it's hard and uncomfortable and you feel like you don't have that much to give or offer. That's okay. We're in this together. Look at how the section ends. If you skip down to verse 25, he says that there be, may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. But that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, he continues on, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together together we are in this together this 
body, this church, this community was brought together by God. Yes, we are here to grow individually, you know, and strengthened individually by our walk with God. But ultimately, this is about us together. Community is a gift and grace of God. It means we don't have to do life alone. In Ephesians 4.15, Paul says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We are the body of Christ, a collection of parts united together in Christ, which means we aren't our own. We aren't on our own. The world is hard. Life is stressful. And we keep hearing the message from the whole world not to worry about or focus on anyone else or anything else. Just take care of you. That's exhausting and lonely. Scripture says, no, we are united. We are family. We are to be one, growing together, learning together, challenging one another to grow together. It means that, yes, life is hard and overwhelming, but you don't have to face that reality on your own. You have been gifted a community to walk with you, experience the ups and downs, the, the hard, hard elements, and the joyful celebrations. We get to do that together. In this setting, we get to learn and grow together. We get to grow more as individuals. We get to experience more and more of what God, who God has made us to be and what he is shaping us into. We get to use this place, this community, to understand the ways God has gifted us as individuals and use those gifts to serve and care for one another. 1 Peter 4.10, it says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. As you are able, get involved. Step in, and maybe you don't quite know your strengths. You don't quite know your giftings. Okay, let's learn together. Let's try some stuff. Get involved. And maybe not every ministry is a perfect fit for you. That's okay. You won't know until you start trying to use those spiritual muscles that God has given you. Matthew 5, 14, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus was speaking to his followers, speaking to us. He says, you are the light of the world. You hear me talk about it often. I pray it often here. That's a big statement for Jesus to make. But he says that he wouldn't call us to be that. He wouldn't call us to shine and be this example and to be his representative representatives on this earth if he wasn't going to also equip us to do that and we have the holy spirit in us guiding us challenging us leading us we also have a community we get to do this together and so we celebrate and we rejoice in what god has done god made you god knows you god loves you so much he sent his son to die for you god called you to himself god saved you god leads you god has made you part of a community we aren't just mindless robots with no say in the matter. We all know that we can make choices, that we can make our own decisions, and sometimes, too often, more often than we'd like, we choose to rebel. And yet there is more grace to be had, more forgiveness to be had through the cross of Christ. And when we step into the moments that are in line with the will of God, when we choose His way over our way, when we trust His leaning, when we trust His character, that's when we see Himself shine through. That's when we start to see and understand what it means to truly thrive in this world. 
That doesn't mean that all of life for Christians and for churches is sunshine and rainbows. It's not. But it does mean we, as God's children, have joy in Him. Can show glory in Him. And a growing and deepening in our relationship with Him, both as individuals and a community of believers. What unites and binds and grounds us together is the thing that makes it possible for a bunch of people from a bunch of different backgrounds and experiences and cultures to be able to have a relationship in the first place. The thing that unites and binds and grounds this church together is the thing that keeps us together when we step on each other's toes, when we speak out of line, when we just hurt each other. The thing that keeps us going, the thing that keeps us united is the power of the gospel, the love of the gospel, the grace of the gospel. It is the gift of love. The gospel is that we get to celebrate and rejoice in it, that there's new life and more grace to be had. We cannot lose sight of that or ignore that or forget about it. It is the thing that is holding all of this together. Brothers and sisters, friends, guests, may we rejoice and celebrate and never forget that we are partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Because of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we have a relationship with God. And because of that, we have a relationship where a true, pure, good relationship with others is possible. Because we have experienced grace, we can show grace to others. We can show grace to one another. And we can show grace to the world that God has placed us in. And we get to do that together by and through the power of the gospel. Let's pray. You orchestrated things in such a way to put a church in this neighborhood, and it has stood as the neighborhood and the neighbors have changed, as the setting and the people have come and gone. Even the people of this church have come and gone. So generation after generation, you have kept the gospel in this place. You have been faithful to this church. It has not always been easy. It has not always been God, we stand on the shoulders of men and women who have been faithful and who have endured. Not so that they could be remembered and recognized, but so that your glory, that your gospel would go forward. And now you've invited us to be part of that. You have brought us into that. You have given us this place. God, we are so thankful for it. There is no perfect church in this place is messy at times, and it's, it's hard to be in community at times. God, help us to remember and be constantly rediscovering and re-remembering the gospel. That that's the only way that this works. Because if we focus our eyes on you, if we take our eyes off of ourselves, off of each other, and focus on you, and together we pursue you, and individually we pursue you, and we remember over and over the grace that we have received, the mercy we have received, that it's not about how impressive we are or what we bring or what we can offer you, but that our salvation, our eternity, and our now exists and can thrive and happen, and we can have life abundant because of the grace of the gospel. God, help us to be a people, individually and corporately, 
testing, they're filtering every thought, every word, every interaction, every action through that gospel lens. That we might be a people that show love and grace and compassion, not only to one another, but to the world you have placed us in. Because we know what love and grace and compassion and mercy and justice looks like because we got to experience it through Christ at the cross. God, you have called us to be a united people. You have brought us together. Some as long-term committed members, some as regular attenders, some as guests who come in and out, whatever the case might be. Every Sunday, we get to come to this place. We get to open your word. We get to spend time with you and be reminded of your goodness and your awesomeness and your grace and mercy. God, we thank you. God, help us to be a people who hunger and thirst to know you more and know you deeper and walk into the good works you have set up ahead of time for us to step into, things that might make you, bring you glory, and ultimately maybe be part of someone else getting to understand just how good and awesome you are and understand the grace and mercy of the gospel. God, we thank you and praise you. Amen.